0: Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Friday, October 20th. How are we doing today, guys? This is going to be my last episode of Words with Wallace before the start of the 2023-2024 NBA season, and I I am beyond excited to be coming at you today. I actually recorded this full episode last night, and I was like, you know what? I wasn't feeling that well. I didn't like how my energy was, and we need to get that energy up. You know why? Because we're a couple days away from tip-off. Hit the damn music. To this day, that song absolutely smacks. Shout out to NBC. Please do not sue me. But here we are again, a couple days away from the start of the NBA season. I'm through the moon. Uh, and we've a jam-packed episode for you guys today. So starting off, we're going to go around the league do our usual thing where we get up to date on all the latest NBA headlines before getting into a complete season preview. So that's going to look like the playoff picture in both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. I'm going to go from the number 1 seed in the East and West all the way down to the play-in tournament. So I'm going to give you the top 10 seeds in each conference, going to go through some a little bit of betting segment for you guys. I know it's not technically legal here in Texas, but for a lot of you guys listening. If you guys are interested in betting on NBA awards, I got you with all of my awards picks. I can give you the odds, um, let you know if I think it's a good bet or not. We'll go all over that in a little bit. Uh, so let's not waste any time, guys. Let's get right into it. I'm super excited, if you couldn't already tell. Uh, and let's go through some of the headlines. So at this point, I think I need to just kind of build in like a weekly James Harden tracker at this point in time uh, because uh, the latest update is pretty negative. Uh, let's just get it out the way. There's nobody that quits quite like James Harden. Again, this is not his first rodeo. This is the third time that he's quit on his team. Uh, And basically the latest update is, yeah, he showed up to a practice or two, but now um, he's been missing practice. He had a personal reason for that, whatever. He's going to make this really ugly. He's going to drag this out into the mud and really force Daryl Morey's hand into trading him over to the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, so we'll see. I think it's not really a matter of if at this point. I think it is more of a matter of when he gets shipped to the Clippers. Now, the latest report said that, uh, you know, the Los Angeles Clippers are willing to offer a first-round pick in return for James Harden. Uh, but the selling point in the deal and why Mori has not pulled the trigger is because he really wants Terrence Mann. Uh, it was also announced today on Friday the 20th that Terrence Mann was going to be in the starting lineup for the Los Angeles Clippers for what that is worth. They seem to really value that guy Uh, So that really seems to be like the the stopping point for this deal is that Terrence Mann is kind of the fulcrum we'll see if L.A. ultimately caves or Maury accepts a lesser price for James Harden. Uh, But as we know, with Daryl Maury, he's not afraid to really drag this out. Uh, He's not afraid to wait until maybe the trade trade deadline to even make a move for James Harden. Uh, But the issue is that you have to think at some point Joel Embiid's patience with this entire situation is wearing thin. Uh, You know, the Ben Simmons was kind of a really unique circumstance in the first time we had seen a guy quit on his team like that, especially after signing such a large extension. Where Harden. He's done this before. He's a veteran in this league. This team has real aspirations. Embiid's coming off of an MVP season. Maybe he gets frustrated and tells Daryl to you know, kind of can it and just ship Harden and off and, and send him on his way. You know, you would hope that the front office would have the common sense to just kind of lean on whatever Embiid's gut feeling is in a situation like this. But either way, it's going to be ugly, so I do think at some point he's going to get sent over to the Clippers. Uh, but until then, we're going to have to have updates like these. Uh, moving on, there was a pretty hilarious storyline last week where Kai Jones of the Charlotte Hornets, if you don't know who he is, I think he was a first round pick of the Hornets, uh, not last year, but the year before, uh, you know, played a season or two with the team, wasn't super. super. Super productive for where he was drafted, uh, but kind of went off the rails on social media and then demanded a trade publicly, you know, tweeted out how he wanted to be traded, all this stuff. And then within 24 hours, the team just straight up cut him. Uh, So that was pretty hilarious. I thought it was worth sharing. Now, again, I'm, you know, in some capacities, I think that the player empowerment movement or whatever you want to call it these days is positive, right? I think there's a lot of great things that come with that. Uh, But these, you know, trade requests before the season even starts for guys that are completely irrelevant uh, is not one of the positive things associated with this movement. I can't stand it. It was pretty funny to see a guy kind of get humbled like that. You know, I'm sure he's young enough where Assuming he's just kind of wild on social media, you know, with his athleticism, he should get a chance to resurface somewhere else. Uh, But I did think that was worth noting. And then finally, uh, this is something that I had touched upon a couple weeks ago uh, with the Kevin Porter Jr. situation. You know, he was, uh, again, a player, a guard for the Houston Rockets the past couple seasons. Um, You know, somebody that put up some decent stats on a not very good basketball team in the the Rockets. Uh, But he was, of course, accused of domestic violence allegations uh, by his longtime girlfriend, uh, essentially, it, it looks like it's getting pretty ugly with that situation. And instead of straight up cutting Kevin Porter Jr. like any front office, I think, should in a situation like that, uh, basically, they were actually trying to shop him around to other teams um, with the intention of just basically getting some sort of salary cap in return uh, that they would have some flexibility with. Um, I said that that was really dumb. I think it was a bad look for the Rockets. I think it would be an even worse look for any team dumb enough to trade for Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, and of course, I guess I was wrong in that regard because it does look like, Uh, a team did step up and trade for kpj yesterday this was the oklahoma city thunder they were able to swap some contracts around Uh, they got back a couple second round picks in return uh, but my question is, like, wh- why are you even bothered doing this? If, if Especially if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, this is a team that has an, an absolutely ridiculous amount of draft picks over the next several seasons. I believe they have more than any other team in the entire league. They are officially at a point where they do not even have the roster space to cash in on all of these picks. They're going to have to start, you know, consolidating to move up in the draft. Consolidating, you know, picks with some of their current assets to bring in some more talent on their roster. And you really think it was worth it to, to trade for a guy that is clearly a... Scumbag to just tack on two more seconds. I just thought it was kind of a lame move, especially for a team that is so uh, bloated in terms of their draft capital. But uh, that's my opinion. I know that that's probably not getting a lot of burn with the headlines, with us being a couple days away from the season. You know, they did waive Kevin Porter Jr. immediately. It was worth noting, but like really, Presty, you had to go and get a couple more seconds to trade for some jerk. Uh, don't think it's necessarily worth it, but that's just my opinion. So, without further ado, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, man. This is going to be my complete playoff preview. We are going to start uh, with the Eastern Conference. I do think it was difficult to make these lists for both conferences, obviously, and, you know, a lot is going to change between now and then. I, I don't expect this list to be perfect by any means, but this is my genuine estimation as to where all these teams are going to finish uh, while it was difficult to put this list together for both conferences, I think the the West was significantly harder. Uh, you really have to make some tough decisions there, so we were are going to save the West for last. So let's start off with the Eastern Conference, and I think it makes the most sense to start from the top and work our way down. I don't know if that's necessarily the most exciting for you guys listening, but that's how we're going to do it. And we're going to start off at the number one seed in the Eastern Conference during the 2023-24 NBA season. I think we'll be... The Boston Celtics. Now, yes, I am a homer. I am biased. Uh, it's going to be pretty difficult for me to not be excited about this team, but let's just face it, man. I, I really like the moves that they made in the offseason. I know that's pretty well documented, so I won't spend a ton of time on that Uh, They were the two seed last year. So I don't think I'm breaking ground with expecting them to be a top seed yet again. Um, You know, of course, they bring in Drew Holiday. They bring in Kristaps Porzingis. They lose Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and Marcus Smart in the offseason. But as we talked about, I think Peyton Pritchard's is more than capable to stepping up into that backup point guard role. I think he's really going to flourish. They actually gave him a a contract extension a few weeks ago as well. That being said, I would expect them to acquire some big man depth at some point within the next couple weeks. Uh, You would hope, if not at some point before the trade deadline, they really have to make a move to have uh, a backup big man alongside Al Horford, just so you can keep his minutes low. And obviously, Kristaps hasn't been the most durable guy either. But this is a team that, again, it really came down to them or the Bucs. I'll kind of spoil it. The Bucs are going to be my number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Because I think that those two are uh, in their own class, certainly in the Eastern Conference as far as talent goes and championship aspirations. Uh, And I just think that the Celtics are a little bit younger than the Bucs. They're going to take the regular season a little bit more uh, seriously, if I had to guess. And I am going to knock on wood by saying this. I think the Celtics are a little bit of a better health bet as well. Uh, Obviously Chris Middleton's had his struggles over the past several years. Dame hasn't been the most durable. Uh, Again, the Bucs are the oldest team in the entire NBA. Uh, I don't really like the depth for either team right about now, so I don't really you know, I I guess if I had to pick depth, I'd probably give that to the Celtics as well, but you know, that could really go either way depending on how the season shakes out. I just think the Celtics are are here to prove a point. Um, The Bucs have obviously already won a title within the past few seasons. I think the Celtics have a little bit more to prove, uh, and I would expect that they take the regular season seriously, and I feel pretty good about selecting them to be the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, again, already talked about the Bucks, but let's just go into further detail on what their offseason looked like. You know, they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year, so I'm swapping them in Boston. You know, they bring in Damian Lillard, they bring in Malik Beasley, Campaign. Uh, obviously, also, most notably, I think, might be the coaching change as well, going from Coach uh, Mike Budenholzer over to Coach Adrian Griffin, who was a, an assistant on the Toronto Raptors last season. Obviously, I'm not really in the weeds with the the Raptors' coaching tree, so I'm not sure what to expect there. But obviously, I voiced my frustration with Coach Bud uh, throughout many different occasions on last season. So we will see how this goes for them. Um, you know, notable departures for the Bucks: uh, losing Drew Holiday, losing Grayson Allen, losing Goran Dragic. Uh, And again, I think that's worth the squeeze when you look at what they brought back in return, mainly with just Damian Lillard there. You know, they have some depth questions. They have some real perimeter defense questions that they didn't have last year. You know, going from Drew to Dame defensively is a massive fall off. But at the end of the day, Dame brings a lot to the table. I love that trade for the Bucs. Obviously for them, you know, and just the way the game is played in general, you don't often see, uh, you know, large You know, big men, uh, people running to the rim as being the ones that have the ball at the end of games. And while Giannis is a top two player in the world, I think that just the modern NBA, it is more suited for uh, somebody that is a guard to be handling the ball in late game situations, somebody that can straight space the floor. You know, obviously, if if Giannis isn't getting involved in the action offensively, you know, that is going to be a disservice by coach Adrian Griffin. I would expect him to be constantly involved with pick and rolls and dames. But at the end of the game, I think having that extra option in Damian Lillard that they did not have last year is going to be a massive benefit to them. So again, I'm very confident as you know, going pretty chalk here in the Eastern Conference with the Celtics at the one and the Bucks at the two. Things obviously get a lot more interesting as we look down to the three seed in the Eastern Conference. And this is where I have the Cleveland Cavaliers. They were the four seed last year. So obviously they would just be jumping up one seed in this scenario. You know, as far as what their offseason looked like, they were able to bring in Max Struess. Uh, Of the Miami Heat, George Niang of the Sixers, Ty Jerome, Amani Bates, who was, you know, a second round pick that looks pretty promising in the summer league. For those of you guys that tuned in for that former uh, top high school recruit in the entire country at one point in time. You know, as far as departures, they really only lost Lamar Stevens that I think was in their rotation from time to time. So, you know, pretty additive offseason, you know, mainly with the the added wing depth with Struess and Niang. Uh, but again, I just think this is kind of a bet on the trajectory of the team as a whole. I really like where Donovan Mitchell's going. Um, I think we know what he is at this point, And I would consider uh, expect Darius Garland and Evan Mobley to continue to develop at a really high level. You know, especially with Mobley, I'm pretty high on him. Um, I'm not really as confident as as other people in the media with him being able to take this offensively because he is super raw in that regard. But the defense is always going to be there. He's a really smart person that makes – a really smart player, I should say, uh, that makes the right decisions on the court. So uh, I think that this is, again – What you're going to see throughout this episode is me, you know, making a bet on youth and making a bet on teams that I think are going to take the regular season seriously. A lot of times these older teams don't do that. A lot of the time these older teams have a lot of health concerns. And Cleveland is really not in that bucket. And I think they're uh, in a really good spot to kind of dominate uh, the regular season in the Eastern Conference. Moving on to the four seed, this is where things get a little bit more interesting. This is where I have the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, They were the seven seed last year, but I think there's a pretty big stigma from going, you know, in the play, play in tournament, having to kind of, you know, survive. Get by in an elimination game there just to even make the playoffs to being a top four seed in the East. You know, that is a big adjustment. Um, You know, their team doesn't look a lot different. Um, You know, just really bringing in Kobe Bufkin, uh, a rookie out of Michigan that I know a lot of people are high on. Uh, And as far as departures, they really only lost John Collins, which ultimately just kind of looked like a salary dumping move. I think they only got back a couple second round picks for him. John Collins is now with the Jazz Um, But again, I just think this is more so a bet on, on the talent on that Atlanta roster and a bet in the coaching change, right? Um, they've had some issues with coaches kind of, you know, moving through them pretty quick over the past couple years, going from Lloyd Pierce over to Nate McMillan, uh, and they were able to acquire Quinn Snyder, former Jazz coach, about halfway through last season, if I'm not mistaken. So I think a full offseason for a new coach is, is obviously super important. Uh, I would expect Quinn Snyder to get this team right on track. And I've been saying this for years. I mean, they're they're loaded. They are a super deep team with a lot of depth, especially at the wing positions. I like their big man rotation as well with with Clint Capella, really at every position, What I? Saying they have Clint Capella and Kanguas, their bigs, you know Dejounte and Trey, uh, with some decent guards off the bench as well, especially with Kobe Bufkin being added to that group. Uh, this is just a really talented team that did show me something in that first round series against the Celtics. Um, obviously kind of dragging the seas into the mud and, and dragging it out to six games, you know, kind of pulling two wins out of their ass that they really, you know, had no business getting with the, with the talent uh, discrepancy there, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm pretty high on the Hawks. I think this is the year they they finally start to figure it out. You know, maybe Trey can make a bit of a leap and be a little bit more of a joy to play with than maybe it looks like from us sitting on the couch watching. So uh, we will see how this goes, but I am pretty high on the Hawks and, and taking advantage uh with some of the turmoil on the next team that we are going to talk about, uh, I did drop the 76ers down here a little bit to the five seed in the Eastern conference. Uh, now that's not a huge drop off um, from, you know, all the negative headlines that the Sixers are in, uh, In Right now, Uh, they were the three seed last year. I have them slotted in at the five. You know, really the question mark is, is what is going on with this Harden situation? We already talked about it a little bit. I do expect him to get moved. You know, can Daryl Morey eventually get a a real piece in return? uh, Like a Trey man, like, or sorry, not Trey man, like a Terrence man who they want to acquire from the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I believe some reports that I saw yesterday that if they were to acquire uh, Terrence Mann that they were going to look to pair him up with the draft capital that they would get in return to acquire another star. Um, I don't know if that's the best use of those assets. Like, I, I really do. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Tyrese Maxey later, but I am super high on Tyrese Maxey and his development. I think he actually could take the leap into stardom this season. Um, so maybe they just need to, to fortify with some depth and some other pieces that they can, you know, fill out their starting line a little bit. I don't know if you necessarily need another star. You know, maybe Terrence Mann just ends up being a really good fit for them. Uh, but either way, just kind of looking at their off season, you know, they did make a, a significant amount of changes that I didn't realize, you know, acquiring Mo Bamba, you know, Pat Bev is with the Sixers, I guess, which I just learned about the other day. Uh, Tsunami Papi, Kelly Ubre is in the building as well. Uh, in addition to Danny Green, who's obviously bounced around on a million different teams at this point in his career. Um, and then as far as guys that they lost in the off season, George Niang, who we already talked about uh, going over to Cleveland, uh, Jay Jay Lynn McDaniels, I should say, right? Uh, Jaden McDaniels is the more talented of the McDaniels brothers that's on the Timberwolves. So uh, they lost the other McDaniels brother that they had for about half a season last year. Uh, they're probably going to lose James Harden as well. And then, of course, the coaching change worth noting going over from Doc Rivers to Nick Nurse uh, would expect some, some significant changes there. You know, Nick Nurse uh, is is regarded as one of the best coaches in the league. He's a former coach of the year winner. Uh, with During his time with Toronto, he's known for playing his star players quite a bit. So expect a lot of uh, burn on Embiid. We'll see how that goes. I think Tyrese Maxey is ready. Uh, I'm not sure if you can play him any more than what he played last year. I think he was already at around 40 minutes a game. So we'll just see what that looks like. They have a lot of veterans on that team, too. They're getting up there in age as well. N- you know, not a lot of young players besides Maxey that they need to worry about developing. So... I just think that, again, this is more of just a bet that, hey, with Nick Nurse, he can steady the ship no matter what goes on in this Harden situation. I just think there's too much talent on this team uh, for them to fall too far down the standings in the Eastern Conference, so I have the Sixers slotted in at the number five seed in the East. Moving on to the sixth seed, we have the reigning Eastern Conference champions. This is where I have the Miami Heat. Now, there's a few teams in this bucket where like I'm going to have them as not necessarily top seeds in the conference, but that really doesn't change my view on how I look at those teams as real playoff contenders. The Heat have done, I've checked every box to earn my respect as somebody who obviously follows the league pretty closely as a contender. I'm never going to take them lightly. I'm never going to want to see them in a playoff series. And I just think that, you know, they have proven that they're one of those teams that, you know, hasn't taken the regular season all that seriously, right? Like Jimmy Butler, you know, his play goes up a ton. You know, Spo kind of, you know, finds a way to load manage his guys to a degree to the point where everybody's, you know, ready to play their best basketball in April and May and June. Uh, that being said they were an eight seed last year so this is actually an improvement over where they were last year you know the season before last they were actually the number one seed in the eastern conference so i think this year they kind of meet in the middle a little bit settle in at the sixth seed you know as far as what their off season looked like uh, they did lose gabe vincent max and victor oladipo for what that is worth Uh, they did make some new arrivals as well bringing in uh, jamie Haquez. Uh, from UCLA, the rookie that a lot of people are super high on, as well as Thomas Bryant to, to fortify some big man depth there as well. Um, really, the big push for them is going to be getting back Tyler Harrow who obviously played you know a good portion of the regular season last year, but he was absent for basically the entirety of the Heat's NBA Finals run. You know he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He's going to have a lot to prove, um, and it's going to be a pretty crucial year for his development. And I think he'll be ready for it. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. Again, I just can't really picture the Heat being much lower. Uh, than a six seed. I mean, maybe I can uh, just because, again, I just don't think they value the regular season very much. Uh, but I would still put them a- above a lot of the teams that we just talked about as far as actual contenders. But I think that they will settle in at the sixth seed in the East. Moving on to the number seven seed in the Eastern Conference. This is where I have the New York Knicks. Um, Only a few spots lower than where they were last season. Last season, they were the five seed. You know, as far as what their offseason looked like, uh, they basically decided to run it back. They did lose Obi Toppin. Uh, They were able to acquire Dante DiVincenzo, who was just most recently with the Golden State Warriors. Um, I just feel like this is just, you know, I I think there's going to be some natural regression, if you will, from the Knicks. Like, obviously, Jalen Brunson had a really, really special season. And I'm, I'm super high on Brunson. He's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. You know, Randall, not as much, but he is, uh, you know, a pretty talented player that can fill up the box score and and does seem to get it done at a high level during the regular season. I just feel like I'm not sure if there's any, you know, data to support this claim. But I feel like, you know, teams that are coached by Tom Thibodeau, just kind of like, you know, his first year with the team is always the best and they always exceed expectations. And there's usually like, you know, a slow decline from that point forward. I know he's been with the Knicks for a while now. I'm just, you know. I think I know what the Knicks are to expect at some point. You know, Josh Hart was a big boost for them. Uh, you know, that they were able to acquire at the trade deadline last year. So maybe you think a full off season with Josh Hart in the mix and a full regular season as well could be beneficial. You know, maybe R.J. Barrett is is able to, to take that leap. I'm just not as bullish on, you know, the development of Barrett as I should be uh, for me to really see a way where the Knicks find a way to climb uh, the standings in a pretty loaded Eastern Conference here. So that's really all I have on the New York Knicks at the seven seed. At the 8th seed, we have a little bit more youth and excitement here. This is where I have the Orlando Magic. Uh, as I talked about all last season, the Magic were basically my league pass darling, if you will. They were far and away my favorite team to watch. Uh, on league pass for some of those like you know low-key, uh, below-500 teams, certainly. Uh, they were the 13th seed in the East last year, so they were you know basically at the bottom of the standings for, for most of last season. Um, as far as changes to their team throughout the offseason, they drafted Anthony Black. Uh, the rookie out of Arkansas, as well as Jet Howard of Michigan, uh, you know, all the draft nerds were not super high on those decisions from the magic, you know, bringing Anthony Black, a, a guard that has some question marks with his jump shot to go alongside, you guessed it, two other guards with question marks with their jump shots in uh, of course, Markel Fultz, who was big for the Magic last year. Uh, Jalen Suggs, who was big for the Magic last year as well. Um, you know, again, this is more of a bet on the known commodities on the Orlando Magic than anything else. Like, I just I think the world of Paulo, I think the world of Franz Wagner, I think that those guys could be potential all-star seasons this year. And I think on the backs of those guys that they will make a leap. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much contribution they get from these rookies that we just talked about. How much you know they get from Jalen Suggs if he can kind of make that year three leap. That would be huge for them. Uh, as far as departures to their roster, the only notable one I noticed was Bull Bol, Bol uh, who I loved watching and ended up in Phoenix. So, again, this is just a bet on France and Paulo. I, it's kind of a funky team, but maybe they find a way to make it work. You know, maybe they, you know, start the year off pretty competitive and find a way to bring in more of a veteran guard that, you know, has a more consistent outside shot to, you know, pair alongside Anthony Black or or Markel Fultz. So we'll see what that goes. They do have some options. They have some draft capital. Uh, I'm just betting on some natural improvement for the Magic this season. Moving on to the number nine seed in the East, this is where I have the Indiana Pacers. Uh, they were the 11 seed last year, and they were pretty busy in the offseason, uh, most notably uh, signing Bruce Brown to what I believe was a two- or three-year contract. Um, you know, Bruce Brown of the Denver Nuggets, of course, got his ring, and now he got his Paycheck from the Indiana Pacers, so congratulations to him. Uh, they brought in Jairus Walker, who was a, a rookie that was taken pretty highly in the draft, as well as picking up Obi Toppin from the Knicks, who, um, you know, kind of a fun project there. He didn't always uh, get the most burn from Tom Thibodeau. He was kind of, you know, stuck behind Julius Randle at times and Mitchell Robinson and some of the other bigs that they have over there in New York. So this is going to be a cool opportunity for Obi to get a look with the, uh, his second team. Um, as far as departures, they really didn't lose anybody. Uh, it does seem like Tyrese Halliburton is essentially rapidly in this league. He looked fantastic playing for team USA this summer as well. Uh, Again, I just kind of like what they're, what they did in the off season. Um, You know, I think some people, they could be in a position to really make some noise and be out of the play in tournament and and just a straight up, you know, top six seed in the East. I just haven't seen enough from the supporting cast to go that far. Uh, I know Miles Turner had a really big season last year as well. Maybe he's rejuvenated for finally being out of trade talks for really the first time in what feels like a decade at this point. So Uh, A lot to like with the Pacers. I think they'll be frisky, uh, but ultimately have them slotted in as a nine seed. At the number 10 seed in the Eastern Conference, this is where I had the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Of course, they were the sixth seed last year, but that's obviously super misleading for anybody that actually watched the team. Uh, You would know that the team uh, starting last season looked entirely different from the roster that they had to close the season. Uh, They blew it all up at the trade deadline, essentially, you know, trading away Kevin Durant to Phoenix, trading away Kyrie Irving to the Mavericks. Uh, As far as off-season departures, you know, or and arrivals for that matter. They brought in Lonnie Walker of the Lakers. They did lose Seth Curry and Yuta Wannabe, two fantastic three-point shooters, or Watanabe, I should say, Yuta Wannabe. Don't think I'm pronouncing that one correct. Uh, but that being said, you know, the, the silver lining of that Durant deal is it looks like they did get, uh, in some way, a, a franchise cornerstone in, in Miles, or sorry, McCall Bridges. I always mix that up. Uh, Mikhail Bridges was fantastic for the Nets uh, to close last season. You know, a true way, uh, a two-way superstar that literally plays in every game. You got to love that. Uh, I do just find it hard to believe that the supporting cast of, like, Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith and... You know, I do like Nick Nick Claxton, but I just, I don't think there's enough talent there. Like, I don't think that is a more talented team than literally any of the nine teams that we just talked about. Um, I think some regression is there. Um, you know, maybe if you're betting on the, on the Ben Simmons resurgence, that, that is really the only path for this team to really climb high in the Eastern Conference standings. If you get, you know, Ben Simmons from, you know, 2019 again, but I, I don't know if we're ever going to even see that guy. Uh, so that being said, I, I'm pretty low on the Nets, but I do think that they still have enough talent and enough, enough depth to sustain a 10 seed in the Eastern Conference. So that just about does it for the East. We'll run through those seeds one more time. The one seed, I have the Celtics. The two seed, I have the Bucks. The three seed, I have the Cavs. The four seed, I have the Hawks. Five seed, I have the 76ers. At the six seed, I have the Miami Heat. The seven seed, I have the Knicks. Eight seed, Magic. Nine seed, Pacers. And the 10 seed, I have the Brooklyn Nets. Let's move on to what I think is the even more difficult conference to organize and rank here, uh, the Western Conference, right? Let's start off at the top, just like we did with the East, and we are going to give respect to, again, the reigning NBA champions, the Denver Nuggets man they absolutely steamrolled their way through the regular season last year and for the playoffs for that matter as well um i think that they you know basically put it in cruise control for the last like you know 15 to 20 games of the season because they had the one seed uh, so well in hand uh, i think if they were really motivated through and through they easily would have been a 60 win team with the amount of talent on their roster and we saw that on the biggest stage during the playoffs as well as far as what their offseason looked like um, they acquired you know really just a couple rookies some older rookies like 23 24 year old rookies Uh, I don't know much about them but Bryce Wills and Jalen Pickett uh, you know some people close to the team seem to be high on those guys and think that because they are older rookies uh, a little bit more mature a little bit more experienced they might be you know, in a spot where they can step in and immediately make a, a contribution on a really competitive team. Um, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, it, that's just a really hard spot uh, for any rookie to to step in and contribute on a, a team with true championship aspirations, uh, especially for somebody that wasn't taken super high in the draft. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, obviously the big loss, the big departure for the Nuggets this offseason was Bruce Brown going over the, to the Pacers like we had just talked about. Uh, I do think that the positive thing for the Nuggets is that, that, you know, Kristen Brown was a real part of that NBA Finals rotation and throughout the entire playoffs, really. You know he's an energy guy, uh, somebody that you know is a strong defensive presence. You know probably not the same ball handling and, and comfort level that you'd have running the offense as you would with Bruce Brown. Uh, but it does seem like Christian Brown can take over the Bruce Brown role in in many capacities, and hopefully you get that leap for Michael Porter Jr. as well. You know he had his moments during the regular season, uh, but unfortunately during the playoffs he wasn't super consistent shooting the ball. Uh, that being said, if if he is does take that leap it's going to be even scarier for the nuggets it's also pretty scary to think about that for you know basically the first half of last season jamal murray was not the same guy right he was still coming off of that knee injury uh, it took him until about halfway through the season to really get in his rhythm that's why he you know has still yet to make an all-star team which is absolutely bonkers to think about with how uh, high i am on jamal murray so i think there's you know for every reason you could say about the nuggets you know maybe they take a step back maybe they get that championship fatigue uh, they lose bruce brown i think you can point to you Many different things that I just named uh, for reasons why the Nuggets will continue to dominate in the Western Conference, and they are my pick to be the number one seed in the West yet again. This is where shit gets off the rails, man. I, I can't lie to you. I'm I'm kind of bewildered that I'm even going to be telling you this right now. The West is a dumpster fire, right? Like, it is, all, it is already a dumpster fire in terms of what teams, uh, I think, will separate themselves from the pack. It's going to be very close. I could see this, again, being one of those seasons where the two seed and the eight seed is separated by, like, three and a half games, um, which obviously is, is going to be back and forth all year. Uh, but the team that I... Feel really confident about making a massive leap this season, and I have them as the number two seed in the Western Conference. The Dallas Mavericks, man. Uh, Above all else, this is just a a blind bet and a blind faith in Luka, uh, that he is a top three player in the world. I believe that to my core. Uh, He is, you know, we've really never seen a player like Luka Doncic, certainly in my lifetime. Uh, And I think that they did, you know, they didn't absolutely dominate the offseason, right? Uh, but they became, you know, at least an average supporting cast, or at least close to average. And, and what I'm really trying to tell you is that that team was ass cheeks last year. Like, that team was terrible. They're playing Reggie Bullock, massive minutes. You know, Dwight Powell is starting at center for them during the season. You know, they're waiting on the return of, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. and and Maxie Kleber. Like, they're these crucial championship role players, and that is just Clearly not the case. You know, the number one thing I I could see and the number one reason I could see that this, uh, you know, lofty projection for the Dallas Mavericks has not come true uh, is because Jason Kidd is probably is a buffoon. He is. I I don't think he's a good head coach in any capacity, and he is still in charge of that team. But that being said, like, let's look at what they did in the offseason and the moves that they made. You know, they acquired Grant Williams from the Celtics, Seth Curry, uh, most recently from the Nets, Derek Lively. They drafted him with, you know, a, a top 12 pick in the draft You know, he's a big man out of Duke. Uh, Olivier Maxens Prosper, he's a rookie that can immediately step in and projects to be uh, one of the team's best perimeter defenders, which is something they desperately need with the absence of Dorian Finney-Smith, who they traded away for Kyrie Irving as a part of that deal. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, they were able to dump Davis Bertans finally uh, and use his contract for Rashawn Holmes that the Kings were sick of having on the roster. But again, I think Rashawn Holmes is a better big man than Dwight Powell. So I think that's a, a significant upgrade there. Uh, And then, you know, notable departures as well. They lose Christian Wood. They lose Reggie Bullock. Uh, But again, this is a bet on Luka, right? I I have to imagine that this is going to weigh on his conscience that they were not even in the play-in tournament last year, that they obviously did not make the playoffs for that reason. You know, if you guys remember, they threw in the towel with like a week and a half left. They probably had a chance to get in there. Uh, Wasn't going to be likely, but they could have at least gone down swinging, and they did not. Um, I just think when you have a player as special as Luka, that's going to eat away at him all offseason. And now he has guys that can at least make open shots. Like Grant Williams, he defends at a high level. He makes open shots. He's a good three-point shooter. Seth Curry is one of the best shooters in the entire league. And I think that taking those Dwight Powell minutes and hopefully just crumpling them up and throwing them out, like, again, that guy should be, like, at best, a 13th player on a roster. Um, You know, it's, it's a lot to ask of Derek Lively to immediately step in and play real minutes. But luckily, they were able to hedge that bet a little bit with uh, Maxie Kleber being in the building still with Rashawn Holmes being there as well. I think he's still a guy that can you know be a really good rebounder, a better rim protector than Dwight Powell. Uh, and then obviously you have to hope that the perimeter defensive boosts that you get from guys like Grant Williams and Omax are that enough to kind of support what D- Dorian Finney-Smith was able to provide. So again, this is a Mavericks team that was a, a top four seed in the West the season before. You know They made that kind of miracle run to the Western Conference Finals uh, that did seem a bit ahead of schedule. So you know it feels pretty crazy seeing them go from the 11 seed and the two seed Uh, but again I just think that this is really just me condemning how bad that roster was last year and that they found at least enough juice to get some suitable pieces around Luka Doncic let's move on to the number three seed in the Western Conference still a pretty crazy take if I do say so myself this is where I have the Golden State Warriors now, the Warriors were a six-seed last season, uh, and, you know, by all accounts, this could have just been a, a really difficult season for the Warriors and one that they would just like to have back. Um, you know, it was pretty much filled with drama from the gate, despite the fact that they were, of course, coming off the championship. You had the Draymond pool debacle that happened earlier this season, and that kind of cast a cloud over the team. You know, they were still, you know, in between eras, if you will, where they were still trying to toe the line of having, like, that two-timeline thing uh, where they, you know, obviously have their aging stars, their big three, still. Steph, Clay, and Draymond, you know, getting a little bit older. They're like, hey, you know, we're going to stay competitive and we're going to get these high draft picks in the building and we're going to develop them alongside those veterans so we just dominate for the next decade. Uh, I think that they've finally thrown in the towel on that concept, which... Duh! It's like you have a a top you know player ever in Steph. Like you have to you know be do right by him and just continue to try to build around him by any means possible. It's okay if there's a lull after Steph retires where you suck for a couple years in order to get competitive once again. That's just how this league works. Uh, and they should just go in all in for the next couple years and getting talent around Steph now. I'm not going to say that they went out and crushed the offseason, but I'm really just betting on the core that's in place with Golden State. They're obviously established as, as, you know, a dynasty um, over the past several years. So with that, let's take a look at their offseason moves. Uh, They acquire Chris Paul. Uh, They draft uh, Brandon Pashemsky, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, in the late first round that they're pretty high on. Uh, They bring in Dario Saric as well, Usman Garuba from the Raptors, Rudy Gay, uh, who's now on his, like, unofficially his, like, 15th team at this point in time. Uh, Rudy Gay's getting up there in age. Notable departures, they, of course, lose Jordan Poole, like we just talked about, uh, Dante DiVincenzo and Jermichael Green. Um, overall, I just think that Poole, you know, he's going to dominate statistically for the wizards. We all know that he's going to be the classic good stats, bad team type of guy. Uh, but that being said, I think he was a, a pretty, he was awful for the warriors last season. Let's call it what it is. I watched them quite a bit. The amount of, you know, questionable shots, the amount of visible frustration on the face of Steph Curry that I've literally never seen at any other point in his career. Um, you know, Poole was brutal for the warriors last year and getting a guy, um, like Chris Paul, who I'm going to admit that there is. Really, not a, a clear fit for him in this warrior scheme as we've seen it over the past couple of years. But it's a bet on Steve Kerr, it's a bet on Steph Curry, and it's a bet on Chris Paul being three of the best basketball minds in the universe where they can figure it out. They can find a way for Chris Paul to run that second offense and create good shots. I'm hoping that Chris Paul can, you know, help the development of guys like Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, who are, you know, really the the last survivors from uh, those early draft picks where you know the, the organization still has a decent amount of hope for those guys. Maybe Chris Paul can help them develop in the second unit. We know how dominant Steph, Clay and Draymond are when they're all in the court together. Um, So I'm liking how this second unit is shaping out. Hopefully Chris Paul can be a traditional floor general in that sense that lifts up that unit. Uh, And I'm excited. I think that last season was more of an anomaly than anything else. And I think the Warriors are going to be right back in the mix at the three seed in the Western Conference. Moving on to the number four seed in the conference. Uh, Again, this is a team that I would argue on paper maybe has the most or the second most talent of any team in the Western Conference. This is where I have the Phoenix Suns. Now, Uh, This, you know, some people might be insulted that I have the Suns at the four seed, but I'd like to remind you that they were the four seed again last year. And the Suns have some real question marks, right? They have major, major health concerns and they have major, major concerns with depth as well. Um, as far as their offseason, let's recount it, because they basically overhauled everybody uh, around, Chris, or around Chris Paul, around Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, for that matter. Uh, they brought in Bradley Beal, they brought in Joseph Nurkic, they brought in Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, Bol Bol, Kata Bates-Diops, Yuta Watanabe, uh, and of course, head coach Frank Vogel. Uh, as far as departures, they lost Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Torrey Craig, Jock Landale, Campaign, TJ Warren, and former head coach Monty Williams. So, yeah, it's basically an entirely different team outside of Chris, uh, outside of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Um, I think there are not many questions about Devin Booker at this point in time. I think he's a top 10 player in the world. He was unbelievable during that playoff run for the Suns last season, and he's going to be the guy that needs to contribute at an extremely high level night in, night out for the Suns team. And I think he's up for the challenge you know Kevin Durant when he plays he's still elite how many games are you going to get from him that's really the question uh, same thing with Bradley Beal he's had a really checkered injury over the last couple seasons now we're going to find out if those were real injuries that you know prevented him from playing basketball or if that was in part like hey I'm not going to rush back because you know we're not really competing for anything in Washington anyway obviously Phoenix has championship aspirations so you're going to expect Beal to be able to go if he is out there Uh, But that being said, again, he hasn't played a lot of games the past couple years. They brought in Joseph Nurkic, again, not very reliable health-wise. And so another reason as to why I really don't like that DeAndre Ayton trade for them. So, you know, I did probably knock them down a seed or two based on where I thought they'd be before making that DeAndre Ayton trade. I voiced my opinion pretty strongly on that a couple episodes ago, uh, but didn't like the move, didn't understand why they were in such a rush to get rid of Ayton with the new coaching staff. You know, they're going to have real defensive question marks in addition to their depth. Uh, I'm not sure who their perimeter lockdown defender is. I'm not sure if that guy exists. You know, you have Josh Okoji, who I'm super high on. I guess he would be that guy. But, you know, can he shoot over 30% from three? I guess we're going to have to find out. Um, But if he makes that leap and guys stay healthy, I mean, they're going to be as talented as anybody in the West. But, again, I don't think that they're going to take the regular season as seriously. You know, as some of the teams with more to prove, like the Mavericks and the Nuggets above them, uh, just because they understand the health concerns in their team. They understand what the ultimate goal is. They are as all in as any team as I've seen in quite some time. Uh, So that's where I have the Sun slotted in at the four seed in the Western Conference. Moving on to the five seed in the West. This is where I had uh, many people's darling of a team this year. The Los Angeles Lakers, right? Um, You know, some people, again, might think that this is kind of low because I know a lot of people have the Lakers winning the West and ultimately winning the title. Um, I don't really blame you for that. Again, just like the Miami Heat, this is not because I do not trust the idea of the Lakers being a real contender. I just don't trust the idea of the Lakers being a really dominant team during the regular season. I think they crushed the offseason as much as any team in the entire league. We're going to go through those arrivals and departures in a second. But that being said, uh, this is kind of a bet against the health of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is a damn good bet to make. If you look at the number of games played over the past couple seasons, I think it's pretty unlikely that either of them play in more than 65 games at this point in time. I think that they should be trying to rest those guys. So they're playing their best basketball in the months of April to June. Uh, I think that's just common sense at this point in time. Um, I know I saw a report come out yesterday that Anthony Davis said a goal of his is to play in all 82 games. You know that's great. It's a great goal to have, I guess, but I don't know if that's the best strategy for the team uh, because, I again, if, if he's banged up and. You know, really grinding out games and, and putting himself out there. You know, maybe it toughens him up, or maybe it learn it, it makes you know the chance of him getting hurt for late season even higher. So, you know, I would play it safe with those guys. Now, you could make the argument that they did enough in the off season to fortify their depth, fortify their rotation, so they can survive games without them. Uh, but those two guys are are you know when healthy and and when playing their best basketball, two again top ten guys in the world. So uh, it's pretty difficult to replicate that. Uh, Enough of me rambling. Let's look at the additions of this team in the offseason because they are significant. They brought in Gabe Vincent of the Miami Heat, Torian Prince from the Wolves, Christian Wood from the Mavericks. They drafted Jalen Hood Shafino in the first round of this past year's draft to a guy I'm pretty high on Uh, for the limited amount of college ball I watched last year. I was pretty impressed with Shafino of Indiana. You know, Jackson Hayes is there to, to add some big man depth as well as taking a flyer on Camp Reddish. Notable departures, you know, Dennis Schroeder, that's kind of a huge loss for them. Uh, obviously, Gabe Vincent can step into that role quite nicely, but I really liked, you know, Dennis Schroeder as a compliment next to D'Angelo Russell and what he was able to bring defensively. Uh, they did lose Lonnie Walker. He was a hero in one of those playoff games last year, as well as Malik Beasley, a knockdown three-point shooter that ended up with the Bucks. Uh, again, they crushed the offseason, but I have them at the five seed because I just don't see a world where LeBron and Anthony Davis both play any more than like 60 or 65 games. Uh, and I don't know if the Lakers are really well equipped to compete night in and night out. They should be trying to pace themselves because a championship is the ultimate goal. Let's move on to the sixth seed in the West. And this is where I have the Minnesota Timberwolves. Actually, you know, I've been kind of a Wolves hater. I'll say I was you know, pretty disappointed with their season last year. Uh, But they were the eight seed last year. Uh, People really love clinging on the idea that they were able to win a game against Denver and win a game against the Champs uh, that took a full overtime and an absolutely heroic performance from Anthony Edwards. So I don't really think much of that. Um, As far as their offseason, they basically ran it back. You know, they did lose Torian Prince and Austin Rivers, who's a free agent right now. And they brought in Shake Milton, formerly of the 76ers. So I would expect their rotation to be basically the same. But the reason that I have some optimism is like, look, I'm not a cat guy. I'm 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 pretty openly a, a cat hater at this point in time. I really can't stand everything that that guy says. But to deny how talented of a basketball player he is would be ridiculous. And I don't I'm not overly confident of the fit of Rudy Gobert next to Carl Anthony Towns. It's been pretty well documented that I think that playing those two together takes away the offensive advantage that you have in cap when he's basically playing the 4 and you have a guy that is totally useless outside of standing next to the rim, next to him and, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, but that being said, we we didn't get to see it because Cat barely played last year. You know, they started the year, it was pretty ugly. Then he got hurt for a while and he was working his way back uh, toward the end of the regular season. I think a full season uh, of them being healthy together, you know, maybe Cap can kind of commit and, uh, you know, find a way for Rudy Gobert to, you know, save some of his defensive shortcomings a little bit and kind of support him in that regard. And really above all else, I should, I should have started with this. This is a bet on Anthony Edwards. I love Anthony Edwards. He's going to continue to develop. And I think, you know, by the end of this year, he could be a a true uh, franchise changing player. If he's not already, I think he could be in that upper, upper tier of NBA players and difference makers in this league. And I think he's ready to take that leap. And if he does, and, and Kat and Gobert just stay healthy and the supporting cast does their job, um, again, another full offseason. You're or, or going into the uh, a new season without D'Angelo Russell uh, is going to be positive for them as well. Uh, they were pretty excited to swap him out for Mike Conley last year, so I think that makes the team better as well. So I think this Wolves team will be slightly better, jumping up a few seeds to the sixth seed in the West. At the seventh seed, this is where I have the Sacramento Kings. Now, I like the Kings. I love I love a good bit. There are enough. Bits in this day and age and the light, the beam bit was probably one of the best ones of the entire season last year. Uh, But sadly, I do think that there will be a little less uh, purple beams in the sky this upcoming season, uh, mainly because uh, they were basically perfect health wise last year, right? Like they literally did not sustain a significant injury to any of their core players. Uh, They're basically running it back. They acquired Chris Duarte. They lost uh, Metu, uh, one of their backup big men. Uh, And they were the two seed last year. But I just think that, again, we know what the Kings are. They're going to push the pace. They're going to score a lot of points. And they're going to be really difficult to, they're going to have a hard time of getting stops when they need it the most. And I think some teams are going to be able to take note of that, figure them out a little bit. And I just think that, you know, everything broke right for the Kings. And I think while a lot of other teams around them got better, like the Suns, like the Warriors, like the Lakers, like the Wolves, I think the Kings just literally stayed the same. Now, maybe Keegan Murray makes a real leap and, and we know what he is um and and, and he kind of steps into you know superstar trajectory I wouldn't really I wouldn't really expect that from what I've seen from Keegan Murray so far but I, I'm just kind of looking at the young guys in that at their roster and, and thinking who can advance you know I think we know who Sabonis and Fox are at this point in time so I just think that you know the Kings will be in the mix they'll be frisky they're you know a, a team that you're not going to want to play but I think I have them here at the seven C because I think that everything just kind of broke right for them last season Moving on to the 8th seed in the West, this is where I have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, they were the ten seed last year. They had some pretty close losses in the play-in tournament, uh, or one pretty close loss in the play-in tournament last year that got them eliminated. Um, as far as their offseason, um, they brought in a lot of young talent, man. They brought in... Uh, Chet Holmgreen. I know they drafted him the season previously, but he missed all of last season with a foot injury uh, that he sustained in a pro am game before the start of last season. And they drafted Kason Wallace as well, a point guard that a lot of people seem to be very high on. They acquired Davis Bertans from the Mavericks in a, in a basically a salary dumping move from the Mavericks because they were so sick of that guy. You know, maybe he can come in and you know be right there with Isaiah Joe for you know just absolute dead eye players to spot up alongside Shea gilgis Alexander. You know, maybe because of how impressive they were last year and they had literally no big men whatsoever, uh, and hopefully Chet can step in and make a real impact. I think he's the second leading candidate for rookie of the year. Uh, You know, the advantage that Chet's going to have over everybody else is that he's going to be playing on a team that is, I project, to be pretty competitive, obviously, in the playoff picture here where a lot of other rookies won't be. Uh, but then again, you know, Chet's not really a traditional big man. Um, he's pretty unique. Uh, but he is the closest thing they have to a big, to a rim protector, to a shot blocker. So I do think the team is going to be a lot better. Uh, but that just doesn't really change the fact that, you know, a lot of guys need to take a leap. You know, there's a world in which Giddy takes a leap and uh, Jalen Williams takes a leap. And then, you know, they you get big contributions from from Chet and Kaysan Wallace. And this team is a, a top four seed. And it wouldn't be all that surprising. But I'm just going to, you know, trust in, you know, the the pedigree of some of the teams above them that have been there before uh, I don't think the Thunder are going to be in a huge rush to get good, right? Um, if if they are off to a hot start, like they have, you know, all the draft capital in the world, like we were just talking about, where they decide to go for it and extend their timeline. But it just doesn't seem like Sam Presti is in any sort of rush with this team. I think with this being Chet's first year playing in the league, that they will treat it as such, you know, see what is going to complement his game and uh, let him get comfortable out there before uh, making some real moves next offseason. So that's where I have the Thunder at the eighth seed in the West. At the nine seed, uh, this is the Clippers, right? This is where I have them slotted in. Um, this is really tough. I mean, I basically explained to you guys before that I'm betting on youth, I'm betting on health, and I'm betting on teams that take the regular season seriously. Uh, I would say that the Clippers really check none of those boxes with Kawhi Leonard suffering another significant knee injury in the playoffs last year. You know, obviously, you're going to have Paul George back in the mix. You're going to have Russell Westbrook that's going to provide a ton of effort and energy during the regular season you know whether they get hardened or not i just i don't know what to do with this team there's just so many moving pieces you don't know who you're going to have on a night-to-night basis and it's just it's going to be harder to survive in the western conference let's call it how it is and i think that inconsistency is going to be pretty challenging for the clippers uh, and so with that um, you know basically they didn't make any moves this offseason they acquired josh primo they really didn't have any notable departures as far as i know uh, maybe their big move is still coming with this harden deal but whether it does or it doesn't i'm just not betting on the health of the clippers i'm not doing it anymore have them at the nine seed in the West. Moving on to the final team, uh, we are going to discuss at length in the Western Conference. Uh, well, maybe we'll see about that. At the ten seed, I have the Pelicans. Um, you know, there was a toss up between two pretty obvious teams that could slide into this slot. It does genuinely feel like there are eleven uh, competitive teams with a lot of talent in the Western Conference um, that we know of, and, and maybe some teams that are that could have the potential to be in that group. But there's eleven legit teams with with playoff or play-in experience, Um, and so you have to make the cut somewhere. I have the Pelicans as the last one in uh, the play-in tournament as the 10 seed. Now, they were the number 9 seed last year, Uh, and similar to the Clippers, they're just a bad health bet team, right? Like, we just haven't seen Zion put a full season together in a couple years at this point. Uh, Even Brandon Ingram's been really banged up. As far as offseason moves, they really didn't bring anybody in. They just kind of lost Jackson Hayes, and while I don't think that that is a tremendous loss in any way, shape, or form, uh, I I just think that are you guys betting on Zion? Are you guys betting on Zion coming in and taking over the league? Like we know if, if Zion does play and everybody's healthy, they have as much talent as, as maybe any team in the West. I mean, again, like talk about it all the time last year. Like they, there was a time in which they were a top two seed for the first several weeks of the season last year. Um, and they didn't even have Zion during that time. You know, Brandon Ingram was kind of the guy carrying them for, or I guess they did have Zion and they didn't have Brandon Ingram, I should say. So they weren't even fully healthy at that point. They were a top two seed. But uh, it just seems like the vibes around Zion haven't improved all that much. Uh, I do like Brandon Ingram, but, uh, and they have a lot of wing depth there where I think it's it, to the point where it's almost a detriment with how many wings they have in the mix when everybody is healthy. I think there's going to be some guys that played big roles last year that might have to take a step back if Zion is healthy. Uh, But that being said, I think the Pelicans have a lot of talent. They have a guy to go to at the end of games and CJ McCollum as well. I'm high on the Pelicans, but uh, I can't put them any higher than the number 10 seed in this exercise. And so before we move on to our award picks, there's there's one obvious team that is missing from this bunch in the Western Conference, and that is, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I know that I'm pretty biased against the Grizzlies. I don't like the Grizzlies. I don't like all the shit that they talk. I didn't like a lot of the players in their team last year. I certainly don't like John Morant. Uh, But it does just seem like if there's some team that's not going to be able to survive a rocky start, that it would be Memphis and... They're in a really tough spot because, as we know, for the from the Instagram live gun incidents, that Ja Morant has been suspended for the first 25 games of the season. Um, as far as you know, notable additions and departures to their team, they uh, of course lost Tyus Jones, who's somebody that I'm super high on. Um, they were able to bring in Marcus Smart and. As much as I love Marcus Smart, I think the upgrade from Ty's Jones to Marcus Smart is not as significant as Grizzlies fans would like to think, uh, based on what we saw from Marcus Smart last season. Uh, Now, granted, 25 games without job, that is a ton of games. Uh, So that's really why I'm putting them out of the playoff picture here. Now, the Grizzlies have been pretty good at sustaining uh, their same level of competitiveness. They've been a fantastic regular season team the past couple years, and they've been really good even when job doesn't play. Uh, But that being said, 25 games is a lot. Uh, It does seem like there's still some rockiness between Ja and the front office there that could be a dark cloud hanging over this team. You know, maybe Desmond Bain, uh, you know, takes a step back after getting his, you know, mega max contract, whatever, his maximum uh, rookie contract extension, and he takes a step back. I don't know. Basically, I have to bet that one of these teams is going to have the season from hell, and I feel the most confident about putting the Grizzlies in that bucket, right? And maybe they don't. Like, you know, maybe again, the eleven seed is, you know, they would be three and a half games back behind the five seed in the West, when it's all said and done, and maybe it's that close. And you know, I'm I'm wasting a lot of breath on this episode. I'm sure I will be. Uh, but as of right now, if I had to pick one team to fall apart and not even make the play in picture, it would be the Memphis Grizzlies, and I'm going to leave it at that Uh, and also I should mention the loss of Dylan Brooks as well uh, is significant and maybe you know I know that they like to use him as a scapegoat but him being their best perimeter defender um, is significant and him uh, getting a real contract from the Rockets shows that he still had some value around the league and uh, maybe Memphis isn't as tough as they think they are without a guy like that on their side so That just about does it for my Western Conference playoff picture. Uh, Let's go through the teams 1 through 10 real quick. We have the Denver Nuggets at the 1 seed. At the 2 seed, we have the Dallas Mavericks. 3 seed, the Warriors. 4 seed, the Suns. 5 seed, the Lakers. 6 seed, the Timberwolves. 7 seed, the Kings. 8 seed, the Thunder. 9 seed, the Clippers. And of course, the 10 seed, the Pelicans. With the Memphis Grizzlies being that first team out. Let's move on to our 2023-2024 NBA Awards picks. So I want to be clear that I made all of these picks without looking for any of the odds. I just kind of went through team by team, roster by roster, and picked the people that I thought were the best candidates and the most likely people to win these awards. I made my picks. I looked at the odds afterward. Uh, that way I could provide some context to you guys and let you know if I think it is a good bet. Uh, to bet on the guys I selected based on what those odds are Uh, so let's get into it man let's start off with executive of the year Uh, pretty boring award that a lot of people forget about and I actually couldn't even find odds for it Uh, but I'm going to give you my little homer pitch here for my guy Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics Uh, if the Celtics are as dominant as I think they will be during the regular season uh, Brad Stevens is going to be the main person to credit Um, You know, obviously the Celtics are a team that have had a ton of success uh, over the last several seasons, right? And for them to trade the longest tenured Celtic and Marcus Smart to go from a team that just played in the finals and just played in the Eastern Conference finals and um, really rebuild their core around Tatum and Brown uh, to offer Jalen Brown that Supermax extension uh, for them to go out and get Christoph Sporzingis and get Drew Holiday and some splash plays. You know, that's that's a risk. That's a ballsy play. And I think it'll pay off for the Celtics. I'm obviously pretty bullish on it. Uh, and I think if the Celtics are as good as I think they will be, then Brad will be a clear favorite for that award. So Brad Stevens is my pick for executive of the year. Moving on to coach of the year, I had Quinn Snyder. So you know, really the history of this award, when you look at it, it ends up being, you know, what team exceeded expectations the most. And then whoever the coach of that team is usually ends up winning coach of the year. That's just how it goes. Um, you know, that was clearly the case last year with the Sacramento Kings, you know, you know, crushing their preseason expectations. And that's why, you know, uh, their guy, Monty Mc- I believe Monty McNair is his name, the executive of the year for the Kings. And Mike Brown got coach of the year as well. Uh, And that's basically been the trend the several years before that. So, you know, I was just kind of going through uh, my little exercise that I just did where I ranked uh, the playoff picture for both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. And I felt like the team that might be the most impressive would be the Atlanta Hawks, Um, you know, going from a seven seed last year up to the four seed, being a top four seed in the conference. Um, Again, Quinn Snyder is somebody that's held in pretty high regard around the league. Um, His first full offseason with the team has a lot of talent there. I think they'll be in some close games. I think they'll win some close games. Uh, so I think that Quinn Snyder uh, will be the guy for that. I think Hawks will exceed expectations the most. You know, maybe besides the Dallas Mavericks, I know I have them at the two seed, but I just cannot in good faith put Jason Kidd as the coach of the year. That just sounds batshit to me. Maybe that's a a... Bad sign for my Mavericks pick, but I'm going to go with Quinn Snyder for coach of the year. Uh, He is plus 2,000 as far as odds on that. So I think he's actually pretty good value if you guys are bullish on the Hawks like I am. I can go through and kind of give you some of the other coaches that are listed here um, just to give you a sense of who the favorites are and things of that. Uh, I would expect some of the big names like Eric Spolstra to be at the top uh, going from there. Yeah, it looks like the the favorite for the award is Mark Dagnall, the coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's at plus 750, followed by Adrian Griffin at plus 900, coach of the Bucs. Joe Maz, Joe is up there at plus 1200, coach of the Celtics. So, you know, whatever. I think any of these guys, if you feel really confident in them, you can pick them based on those odds. There is no clear favorite Um, besides coach Mark Dagnall at that point at plus 750. So I think at plus 2000, Quinn is good value. Uh, Let's move on to clutch player of the year. Again, this is only the second year of this award. Again, trying to give an award for the best clutch performer during the NBA season. Last year was the first year they did it. De'Aaron Fox won in a landslide vote. You know, the interesting thing about this award is like, you know, the NBA was really like pushing on their site, like, you know, here's the leader in clutch field goal percentage and clutch field goals made and clutch, you know, shooting percentage and clutch points per game and all that stuff, right? And so it was pretty obvious that by every clutch metric that the NBA had posted that De'Aaron Fox was going to be the fit for that. So there really wasn't a whole lot of decision for it. So really, you're just betting on, you know, what team is going to play in a lot of clutch, close games, and who is going to always have the ball in his hands to close out that game for the team, and who's going to be the one to ultimately get it done. And, uh, I'm kind of riding high on the Hawks here a little bit more than I was expecting before this episode. But I have Trey Young for this award again. I think the Hawks, being a four seed in the conference, uh, they're going to be in a lot of close games. Uh, Trey Young clearly is going to be the guy at the end of games to control the ball. There's no doubt. There's nobody else on his team that it like Trey. Trey's holding the ball 90 percent of the time anyway. So I feel confident about him being. Um, that guy at the end of games that is obviously taking the shots. I have that you know 30-footer he hit in Jalen Brown's face in the playoffs, Uh, playing on my head in a loop as I say this right now. So we all know that Trey is absolutely fearless. I think he's a pretty good bet for this award. Uh, As far as his odds, he is plus 2,500, Uh, so pretty strong odds right there. Um, I can let you know some of the favorites. I'm sure guys like De'Aaron Fox are going to be up there again as well. Uh, clutch player of the year, the favorite is actually Damian Lillard at plus 1000 followed by Shea, who is also plus 1000 Lucas listed at plus 1200. Uh, so you can kind of get a sense there that I think in that same vein that like, this is a total crapshoot of an award. And I feel like Trey is as good of a bet as any. So if you are looking to bet some of these awards, if if you're riding high on on the Atlanta Hawks, I think Quinn Snyder and Trey Young are two good bets at plus 2000 and plus 2500 respectively. Now, this is probably the pick that I'm most excited about, that I'm the most confident in. I'm not sure that this is the best bet, and I'll tell you why in a second. For most improved, I have Tyrese Maxey. I feel like I've been banging the drum for Maxey really all offseason. You know, he was pretty high on my top 10 shooting guards list, a little bit higher than maybe he should have been. I think I had him at top four or five or something crazy, but... You know, I love what he's been able to do uh, with a relatively low usage rate. He shoots the ball at at well over 40%. Um, He's lightning fast. He can get to his spots. He can get to the rim. I like his decision-making. And obviously the elephant in the room is like, hey, it looks like James Harden is going to be playing for the the Clippers sooner rather than later, or at least at some point during the season. And once the ball is being taken out of James Harden's hands, um, there opens up a huge door for, you know, Tyrese Maxey to step into that role where he is getting a higher usage rate. And, you know, because of that, his statistics will follow. Right. Uh, And again, in this award in, in the past, you know, they tend to like to give it to guys. It's usually not guys that totally come out of nowhere. Like, you know, last year was kind of a perfect you know, scenario in that regard, because Laurie Markkinen, you know, we thought we knew who, what he was at this point. He came out of nowhere. He changed teams and he had dominant stats. So uh, I guess you could make the argument for a few other people in this category, but you got to think the year before that, they, I think they gave it to job ja the year before, or, you know, maybe two years before, which is utterly ridiculous because job ja literally won rookie of the year and clearly was on like superstar trajectory, you know, from his first game in the league. So I thought that was like a natural progression for Ja. I don't think we, he really exceeded expectations of what we had for him. So, you know, Maxi could be in that sweet spot where he's playing on a big team, He's going to be in a lot of, you know, nationally televised games uh, because of his association with Embiid and the Sixers, of course. Um, He's somebody that was, you know, floating around all-star level that now could have a giant spike in usage uh, while still playing relevant basketball of Harden Leaves. And I just like the player and the prospect, you know, sign me up for Tyrese Maxey. So, you know, the only thing that was pretty disappointed about this is, you know, again, I thought of this on my own. He was my pick straight up. And then I kind of went back to like the odds and I saw that I was like, ah, shit, like he is one of the favorites for this award. Um, I will go through the favorites for most improved right now. Uh, Macau Bridges is the odds-on favorite, and I should I should have mentioned before, my bad, I'm not, a, I'm not a betting guy, if you couldn't tell. Uh, these odds are all courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook. I believe they are updated, even though it's not technically legal in Texas, which is hilarious. Uh, so that being said, Macau Bridges is the odds-on favorite for most improved at plus 1,000, followed by Tyrese Maxey at plus 1,100, uh, followed by Jordan Poole at plus 1,200, uh, and then Cade Cunningham, and Fernie Simons, et cetera. So that being said, I think that there's three guys in a class of their own. Like we already saw the jump from McHale bridges. So maybe he gets credit for this award. If he continues the same statistical trajectory that he was on with the nets. Um, same thing with Jordan pool. Like his, his usage is going to skyrocket. He's going to fill up the box score, but I'm just kind of betting that voters have some common sense. And like, you know, Jordan Poole is just putting up better stats, even if he doesn't actually improve where, you know, Tyrese Maxey will be putting up better stats and he will need to improve in a significant way. If the Sixers are as competitive as they were last year. So i I like Maxi the most of those guys, but because of the way the odds are stacked up, it doesn't really look like any of them are a particularly great bet uh, for that matter. So moving on to six men of the year, uh, this is one that's really just kind of a crapshoot, especially because it's before the season. We're not entirely sure what these you know rotations are going to look like. You know, I was going through the odds on some of these, and I'm like, I don't even think half these guys are going to be coming off the bench. So it is a crapshoot. You know, my gut feeling right now, this is a pretty boring pick, but I'm going to go with Emmanuel quickly of the Knicks. You know, he was obviously a hair away from winning this award last year. Ultimately, they ended up giving it to Malcolm Brogdon. uh, But there was a really strong argument to be made for Quickly as well. The reason why I'm going with him is, you know, because I'm really confident about that Knicks rotation. We know what Thibodeau does at this point in time. They're basically running that roster back. I don't really think there's a world in which Quickly starts because he's behind a bona fide stud in Jalen Brunson. You know, RJ Barrett's going to be in that lineup. Josh Hart is more likely to be in that lineup uh, than a guy like Emmanuel Quickly is. So... I don't think Quickly's role is going to change, but I could see him even getting better as a player. I was really impressed with what I saw from him last year because he is pretty young. Uh, so I would take quickly if I had to pick someone from that award, uh, that being said, um, as far as if he's a good value, I'd say probably not because he is plus 900 and I believe he is the odds on favorite to win the award. And he is alongside my guy, Norm Powell. Uh, you know, again, of course, a my guy that I covered on my last episode, Norm Powell is also plus 900 followed by Malik Monk at plus plus 1200, you know, none of those guys are really jumping out to me. I think if you really wanted to bet on six man, for some reason, I would just recommend doing it on quickly regardless of what those odds look like moving on to defensive player of the year. And then again, here's where we get back-to-back awards that I think are a total crap shoot uh, defensive player of the year is, is so arbitrary. Like even as we get to late season, I never even know who's in the lead for that unless there's somebody just dominating in terms of like counting stats and blocks and steals and whatnot. Um, because it all depends on what you value. Um, My gut is telling me that I think Evan Mobley is going to be the one that wins this award. Um, Just to kind of craft the argument for Mobley, if you guys remember in the playoffs, they obviously, Cleveland, had a pretty disappointing loss to the New York Knicks in the first round. um, And that was mainly because it looked like Pretty unsustainable for them to play uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together, at least in a playoff setting. It looked like their offense was anemic and you had two guys that couldn't really space the floor and couldn't really create their own shot. Uh, So what are you really doing with that? Now, the regular season and the playoffs are different animals. Cleveland obviously had a pretty easy time during the regular season last year. So maybe they just go right back to rolling out that double big lineup. But I'm coming from the school of thought that I would expect Evan Mobley to play a significant amount of his minutes at the five. Um, which, you know, could be worse for the Cavs defensively, or it could just lead to, and and honestly, that doesn't really matter if it's better or worse for the Cavs. What I do think it'll be either way is it could lead to Evan Mobley racking up more blocks. If he is playing the five, if he is a more traditional rim protector, um, and Jared Allen is, is... Minutes are a little bit more staggered where he's the five in in the second unit or something like that. Uh, Who knows? Who's really to say? Obviously, having Allen be the rim protector allows you to have Mobley kind of be like a rover and be really special because Mobley can defend on the perimeter as well as on the interior. Uh, This is just a bet on Mobley. I like the talent. Uh, I like the scheme around him. And maybe he plays the five a little bit more to get some more blocks. So as far as the odds on Evan Mobley, he is plus 700. He is the second highest odds uh, to win defensive player of the year right behind jaron jackson who won it last year uh jaron jackson is a favorite at plus 500 again mobley's at plus 700 followed by anthony davis and Giannis at plus 850 each so mobley not the best bet there because he is the second highest or the second best odds to win this award uh but he is the person i think will ultimately bring that home moving on to rookie of the year Uh, Would love to hit you guys with uh, a crazy zag here and suggest an out of the blue name, but I'm not going to do that. Again, I decided to pick who I think will win each award and I went forward with Victor Wembenyama. Um, What I've seen from him in the preseason, I'm not going to get too far into it now because his podcast is already going long, but like, holy shit, man, like he is going to be I think appointment viewing, unlike we have ever seen, or I have ever seen in my adult life of watching the NBA. Uh, I know that there was a Zion phenomenon a couple of years ago, which has obviously died off and other players have been exciting and Uh, Ja is super exciting and Steph is super exciting. And, um, you know, I guess I wasn't really aware when LeBron was a rookie what this kind of looked like for a new phenom entering the league. Like, I know he was the chosen one. I know um, he had such lofty expectations on him from the second he entered the league. So you definitely have to go all the way back to 2003 and LeBron to get this level of hype for one particular player. But good God, man, those preseason highlights are insane. You know, I was watching that game of the Spurs against the Heat and the plays he was making on both ends of the court were insane. Like, you know, obviously you knew the defense was going to be there with the blocks and the impact that he has around the rim, but some of the steals were nuts and some of the shot creation, you know, was awkward, granted, but absolutely nuts as well. He had a dunk outside the restricted area that was like a standing dunk. It was nuts, man. So I just think that there's going to be so much Wemby hype. I cannot in good faith. Uh, you know, pick anybody else to win this award. If we were to go through and look at the odds, I believe Victor Wembanyama on FanDuel anyway is listed at plus 110, uh, which honestly isn't that bad. That, you know, basically even odds, to my understanding, uh, is a pretty good bet for for Big Victor uh, because I think, you know, of everything I just said, the hype around this guy is pretty insane. Uh, I would imagine that Scoot and Chet are going to be right there alongside him as well. Yeah, it looks like Victor is plus plus. Plus 110 to win the award, followed by Chet at plus 320, Scoot at plus 370, and then Brandon Miller at plus 2800. You know, obviously, looking at those odds, if I couldn't pick uh, Wemby for whatever reason, I would go with Chet. I know, again, he's the second favorite, but... Like I was talking about before, he has the advantage where at least he's going to be on a competitive team. He is the only person that I'm looking at on this odds list that I think will be on a team that makes the playoffs. So for that reason, I could see Chet getting some love and, you know, filling up the box store in pretty unique ways as well. And then maybe you're just betting that, you know, pop and, and, you know, the the Spurs coaching staff take it pretty slow with Wemby and they load manage him a little bit. Um, So if that happens, you know, maybe Chet becomes a, a sneaky dark horse, but I obviously have to go with Wemby for this award. Finally, let's move on to MVP, and this is where I have Luka. Um, that one should be pretty obvious with how high I have the Mavericks. You know, I feel like over the past couple of years we've seen, or past decade, I'll say rather, like, I felt like there was a, a, at least a portion in time where, like, people were throwing out, like, oh, person X is a future MVP. Like, Dane Lillard, he's a future MVP. Anthony Davis, he's a future MVP. Like, you know, this and that. And I was, I was always like, man, you know how hard it is? Like even in in that, that at the time when these guys were young and, you know, first getting going in the league, I was like, I I don't know about that. Like there's a lot of good players in the league and a lot of guys emerge and it doesn't seem like LeBron's ever going to slow down and all that stuff. Right. But you know, the one person that I fully believe I would be absolutely shocked if he never wins an MVP in his entire career, if I had to pick anybody that I'd be most surprised with, it would be Luca. Like you know, the statistical profile for this guy is off the charts. We still love stats in this day and age, and he you know knows how to tally up points, rebounds, assists, uh, unlike really anybody else in the league. Um, and again, all he needs to do is just get to the point where the Mavericks are a top four seed. And I think it's going to be pretty hard for for them not to win, for him not to win at this point because voter fatigue is a real thing. Um, you know, we've obviously been around the rodeo with Jokic and the advanced stats and the, and the port and, you know, everything that he brings to a table and how he contributes to winning basketball. Um, and because he didn't win it last year, like, you know, maybe people feel bad and try to recorrect and give it to him this year. Um, you know, so who knows, but I I think we've, we've kind of seen that play out and I I would be pretty surprised if, if Jokic gets it again. You know, Embiid, he finally got his, and now I, I project the Sixers to be a little bit worse, and they're caught up in a bunch of negative headlines. Whereas Luca, I think it's going to be so clear that he is absolutely the best player on his team, that the supporting cast is decent, but it's nothing special. He's going to be making guys like Grant Williams and and Steph Curry and or Seth Curry rather look like they're worthy of of you know twenty five million dollar a year contracts by the end of this season. Uh, I just think. You know, Luka is due, and I think that this is a season where he takes a leap. The Mavericks are going to exceed expectations, and I think Luka is going to be your MVP. Uh, Quickly, just running through those, um, and I should go through the odds uh, again for MVP real quick. The odds on favorite is Jokic uh, on FanDuel anyways at plus 430, followed by Luka at plus 550, followed by Giannis at plus 600. Again, I really like Luka out of that list, obviously, uh, so that is that. Moving on, let's just recap the awards list real quick. Executive of the year, I have Brad Stevens. I don't have odds for that. Coach of the year, Quinn Snyder of the Hawks at plus 2,000. I think that's a pretty good bet. Uh, clutch Award. I have Trey Young at plus 2500. I think he's as good as bet as any, especially at those odds. Most Improved. I have Maxi. Uh, that's probably the one I feel the strongest about him winning. Uh, but that being said, 1100 isn't plus 1100 isn't necessarily great odds uh, for an award that could go a lot of different ways, and there could be somebody that emerges out of nowhere. Followed by Sixth Man of the Year uh, quickly at plus 900. Uh, feel pretty good about quickly, but I don't like those odds. Moving on to Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I have Evan Mobley, again, plus 700, don't necessarily love those odds. Rookie of the Year, Wemby, plus 110, again, don't necessarily love those odds. And then MVP, Luka at plus 550, I do think that that's a pretty strong bet as well. Uh, moving on, I have one last cherry on top. Because this is going to be the last podcast that I record before the start of next NBA season, I feel like it's it's pretty important that I give you my finals pick. Uh, I'm only going to give you you know, the finals and, and my eventual champion. I'm not going to go through a full playoff bracket. You've heard me talk way too long today. Uh, and this is tough, man, because again, like I said, it's going to be a dogfight in both conferences. I think the league is as deep as it's ever been. Uh, and I will admit, you know, I'm I'm pretty new to this, right? I've only been doing a podcast since last February. It's been uh, a little bit now, but it, it is pretty, pretty difficult for me to separate my bias uh, from my NBA brain and what I watch uh, watching all of these games. But I cannot help but pick the Boston Celtics as my NBA champions over the Denver Nuggets. Uh, maybe I, I'm jinxing this team because I did pick them last year as well. Uh, but I just feel like they're primed, man. I, I I really like their odds of at least getting out of the Eastern Conference. I think the West got a lot better, which could lead to trouble for Denver, whoever ends up coming out of the West. Where I think the East, uh, I think it got more top-heavy with the Bucs and Celtics, but I don't think anybody else made any big splash plays that really scare me. You know, just focusing on the Celtics versus the Bucs for a second, because I definitely think that is the collision course in the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, I do like the Celtics in that matchup. You know, it's nice having Drew go from on the Bucs side of things to wearing the Celtics uniforms. Hopefully he can expose some of the things that the Bucs like to do. Uh, I just like, you know, I think the Celtics are a better injury bet, as we've talked about. Um, I think that they've always been pretty good at playing Giannis. And I think that they will be able to find a way to expose the perimeter defense uh, shortcomings of the Milwaukee Bucks in that matchup. So I think the Celtics will beat the Bucks there. You know, as far as the matchup with the Nuggets, those teams are are two that are not very familiar with one another. So I don't have a lot of analysis on the NBA Finals as we sit here uh, on October 20th. Uh, But that being said, Celtics over Nuggets is my NBA Finals pick. So that does it, guys. Thank you for sticking with me with a super long solo episode here. Be sure to follow At words with Wallace on everything on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe on all those podcast sites as well so you get notified whenever I post an episode this season. Uh, at Words with Wallace on everything on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. Be sure to uh, give me a follow or subscription there as well. Uh, Share the show, tell a friend, and I will talk to you next week after we finally have some NBA basketball to watch. I will talk to you guys later. Peace.